scripture reading is from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 31. Pay attention to verse 21, where the time changes from to past tense. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, you God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, enable us to see your Son in his humility and in his majesty. O Holy Spirit, gracious Spirit, Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that illumines the Son, may our hearts and minds be opened to see that which you show us tonight. And we pray in the strong name of our Savior, even Jesus. Amen. I think my favorite saying of all of the sayings of Jesus may well be that great invitation he gives in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are weary. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. For I am meek and lowly of heart. And I especially like that characterization of our Lord Jesus. In my former church, we used to sing a song, contemporary song, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God. Meekness and lowliness, gentleness and humbleness, was that not characteristic of our Lord all through his life? You can remember some of those incidents. The dead son, the only son of a widow of Nain, and how in his gentleness he touches the beer, making himself unclear, unclean and gives the resurrected son back to his mother. Or touching the daughter of Chiris, taking her by her hand, pulling her up off of her deathbed, and saying, rise up. The meekness, the gentleness, that character of Jesus, the interesting thing is that, that it's a self-description of Jesus that he gives in Matthew 11. He says, I am meek and gentle. It's right after he has given this announcement that the Father has given all things over to him. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the, 
uh, no one knows the son except the father, no one knows the father except the son and those to whom he reveals it uh, to him. But even after that legitimate claim, he can truly describe himself as lowly and meek. Now, we see it all through his ministry. But we also see it in a special way at the end. This is Monday, Thursday. We remember that Passover meal. How did the Passover meal start? According to John's Gospel, Jesus, knowing where he had come from, where he was going, took off his outer uh, cloak and put a towel around his waist and proceeded to wash the dirty feet of 12 disciples, including Judas. He was meek, he was gentile, gentle, he was lowly. That's interesting word, lowly. In classical Greek, probably the correct translation would be servile. Those outside of the community of God had no respect for the bottom tiers of society that did manual labor. But Jesus showed his lowliness by the way he served. When the disciples themselves were arguing about who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom they expected every moment. Jesus said, that's the way the Gentiles behave. That's what the, how their kings strut. That's how those in authority behave with one another. That's not to be the way it is for you. The Son of Man, why did he come? To serve. To give his life a ransom for many. That's a powerful statement. Came to serve, came to give his life a ransom. The cost of release. What the kidnapper demands is in a ransom price. Jesus said, that's why I'm here. Now, how did Jesus get to this point? Jamie just read to you Psalm 22. Let me read you something about Psalm 22 from one of my favorite commentators, Alec Motier. Psalm 22 is such holy ground that we take off our shoes and walk with careful, even hesitant steps. More than any other passage of scripture, it penetrates into the actual suffering of our crucified Lord. The pierced hands and feet, 
the body itself agonizingly pulled apart, the racking thirst, the mocking onlookers. Thank God for the reticence of the gospel accounts. Truly we may not know, we cannot tell what pains he had to bear. Psalm 22 presses to the limit of what scripture allows. And we do well to read it sparingly and with awe. We are face to face with the sheer reality of divine inspiration for a thousand years before the event. David not only foresaw suffering, but the suffering of the crucified. We marvel as well as tremble. This is the unique miracle of Holy Scripture. We worship the Lord our God both for the extremity he suffered for us and for the book he has written for our learning. How did Jesus know that Isaiah 53 applied to himself? That Psalm 22 applied to himself? That Isaiah 42, the first verses there, applied to himself? Jesus was fully human. Jesus, we're taught in the scriptures, grew in his understanding and wisdom. Another way to put it is Jesus learned his arithmetic. He learned his alphabet. How did he learn who he was? In the marvelous wisdom of God's plan of salvation, he provided through the prophetic word that he inspired passages where our Lord Jesus could go and discover his assignment. Can you imagine that young fella in Jerusalem at 12 years old? Perhaps he'd had the first lessons about how babies get born. What would his daddy have told him? What would his mummy have told him? You're not the same. What would he have done? He'd have gone to scripture to find out who he was. And he comes to Isaiah 42. And he reads. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. And he begins to have a sense of what his calling is. And as time passes, he understands more and more and more. And in his growth, of understanding and in his submission to God's plan for him, he submits wholeheartedly and follows in the train 
that the Lord has established for him. So that when he gets to the baptism of John, he knows that he has been identified with his people, even though he's different. And he submits to the baptism. Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. He's one with his people whom he will redeem. And when he gets to the wilderness, having been driven into the wilderness, according to Mark's gospel, the spirit forced him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted. What's the temptation? Against that conviction that he grown with that he was the unique son of God. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And he remains firm. And then when he gets into his ministry, he takes Isaiah 50, 61. Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good tidings. And he applies that to himself. And towards the very end, there in that upper room, according to the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he said, now it's time for the scriptures to be fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgression. Last year, for our uh, recorded meditation for Monday, Thursday, I worked on Isaiah 53. And this year, I thought I'd go to Isaiah, or go to Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 was on the lips of the Lord Jesus. And when in that ancient world, when the first verses of some passage of scripture were quoted, the reference was to the whole passage. And that's what Jesus was drawing the attention of those who would listen there at the cross to, that this passage applies to him. Now, as we look at this passage, we see a passage penned by David, as of David, but there's no place we can go in the records of Holy Scripture where we can find that anything nearly as bad happened to King David as what this text is describing. It appears that by the Spirit of God, David was moved to just sort of magnify or imagine multiple sufferings Different kinds of suffering. The whole gamut of our experience of suffering magnified to infinity. What's there? Desolation. Alienation. Hostility. Ridicule. Sarcasm. And terrible physical 
suffering. And then finally, death. But what about the attitude? Let's say that Jesus is praying this prayer, Psalm 22. What kind of attitude is it prayed with? This is the main point of my homily tonight. It's prayed with the attitude of meekness and humility. Meekness and lowliness. Some of the Psalms are what we call... Um, Jamie, what's that word for the, the Psalms that bring down God's curse? What's that? Imprecatory Psalms. You see, I'm almost 77. Imprecatory Psalms. Psalm 22 is not one of them. What's happening here? The one praying this is in deep agony because of the distance of God. But, is there any kind of reproaching of God, like what Job does? Give me my day in court, Job said. We don't see that in Psalm 22. Jesus went through his suffering as a ransom, as a sacrifice, as a reconciliation, as a propitiation to take away the wrath of God. But Jesus also went through this suffering with that character of that heart, character of being meek and being lowly to set an example for how we are to do it. The key thing here is to see that Jesus actually identifies in the psalm with the people of God. It's clearest in the, sec in the, uh, the last third of the psalm where Jesus where the whole tone of the song changes to praise. And I will declare your praises in the midst of my brethren. Uh, it's, uh, it's clear uh, in the way that he uh, uh, invites others to his sacrifice of praise. It's in effect that there's, uh, as in the Old Testament, uh, uh, situation, uh, someone who prays for God's blessing, God's salvation, and when their prayers are answered, they're encouraged to come and bring a special offering, a peace offering, which would then be shared with others. They would bring some kind of an animal sacrifice, which would be turned into a meal after the Levites and the priests got their portion of it. And that's what's being talked about in the last part of Psalm 22, which is, I think, reflected in the table of our Lord. But it's also clear his identification with the people of God. It's also clear in the way in which 
he trusts in God, even though the sarcastic comments are made, even though he's being ridiculed for it. He identifies with the humble. He identifies with the afflicted ones. He identifies those uh, with those that have no other resources except God alone. Jesus, in this psalm, is identifying with them all the way through. You see, the truths that the author of the letter to the Hebrews um, pulled together in the second chapter where he said um, that it was fitting um, it's fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus understood that was his assignment. Now, perfect through suffering may raise some eyebrows. Was he not perfect already? Well, there's one kind of perfection in the bud. And there's another kind of perfection in the fully opened flower. There's one kind of perfection in the prototype. And there's another kind of perfection in the prototype that has passed all the tests. And the perfection through suffering that Jesus accepted was that he might be able to help all those of his people who are going through such suffering. We read a little later here, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself took of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the devil, death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And that he was made a uh, high priest so that he would be able to help those in need. The Lord Jesus accepted this assignment to go through his suffering with the same kind of meekness and lowliness that characterized the rest of his uh, earthly experience. And that, my friends, is your Savior. Behold him. Rejoice in him. And give thanks to him. And follow in his train. With the same kind of meekness. Enabled by the Holy Spirit. With the same kind of humility. 
enabled by our gracious God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Your son sent for our sins. You did not withhold your only son, but sent him forth that we might gain the benefits that are his by his righteousness. And you've done that. And our psalm ends with, God has done it. Even as Jesus ended his time on that cross with that great cry, it is finished. As we move to the table of our Lord shortly, may your spirit apply to the truths of your people here these scriptures and the character and the service, the accomplishment of our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.